Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Brand Design Masters podcast. I'm Philip Van Dusen, and I'm here today with Marty Newmeyer. Marty is the director of CEO branding at Liquid and is the co-founder and partner at Level C. He is the de facto thought leader at Liquid. He's also the writer of some of the most seminal books on branding that are, have been published. The Brand Gap, Zag, The Designful Company, Meta Skills, The 36 Rules of Genius, Brand Flip, among others. He's also been on the board of directors of the AIGA and been the president of the AIGA Center for Brand Excellence where he edited and published the Dictionary of Brand. And most recently, he's published, actually not most recently, a couple books ago, he published a book called Scramble, which I'm going to dig into a little bit with him. So with that, I'd love to welcome Marty. Thank you, Philip. It's great to be here. Well, Marty, you said, you know, a couple books ago, you published a book called Scramble, which I found really interesting because it was very unusual, really, for you as we look into, you know, your past publishing in that it was a branding thriller. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose to kind of take that, that story structure in your, in your book? Yeah, you know, most of my earlier books um, are part of a, there's four books in this series called Whiteboard Overviews. And that was a different way to approach a business book, too, because they're highly illustrated. Um, the, the, the number of words is kept to a minimum, you know, something like 18,000, 20,000 words, whereas a normal business book is, I don't know, 60 to 100,000 words. Uh, and I just felt like um, we people in design and branding and strategy don't want to spend a lot of time with our nose in a book. We want there and to do the work. And so we need to get out of the book as, as quickly as possible and start putting these principles to work. So that's why I did those books that way. Um, and w- what I was finding is that, um, you know, I give these talks to leaders of companies and they're a bit different than consultants and, and designers in that they, you know, they have to manage a whole lot of people. And for them, it's more about relationships and uh, they're dealing with uh, uh, a, a body of information they learned at uh, some university, you know, Harvard or, or someplace, um, that hasn't um, really spent very much time in this branding uh, area. So they're they're a little bit vague on what branding really is, um, and they're also um, they have difficulty fitting new ideas into their real world because they have actually have to make this stuff work in their company, and so. Um, I was giving talks on uh, from my book Meta Skills, which is uh, uh, kind of a high level book about the skills we need for the workplace of the future, which are mostly creative skills. Um, and I give these talks, and um, everybody in the audience would be nodding, um, and then a CEO would raise her hand and say, "I'm I the, these principles sound like you know totally practical, uh, very understandable." But they're kind of new to me. I'm having trouble uh, knowing, understanding how I would put these into practice because they're just they're they're so different than the way we run the company now. Um, and I thought, you know, that's that's right. Of course, it's going to be difficult, and they're going to run into to uh, hurdles when they try to take something new and introduce it into their culture. So I thought, why don't I write a book about that? Like, why don't I show what it's like? to take some, take a new set of principles, uh, in this case, agile strategy, and introduce them into a company and make them work. Like, what happens when you do that? Um, what happens when you fail at it? What happens when people try to sabotage your uh, your uh, leadership? You know, they, they, try, they drag their heels, they slow walk. All kinds of things happen that you have to be aware of. So the best way to get that across isn't just a bunch of bullet points. It's like write that into a story so you can see what's likely to happen. So that's what I did with uh, Scramble. I made it into a thriller about a, a CEO who, uh, through no fault of his own, uh, is running a company that's in trouble. He's, he's young. He doesn't have a lot of experience. Um, uh, and the experience he has is not helping. 
Um, in this case, the CEO actually comes from a design background, so he has an advantage over other people in that situation in that he's used to inventing things. So he's open to doing it a different way, but he's still information on the subject. He doesn't know how he's going to do it, but he has to reimagine the company in five weeks or he's out. And so is his leadership team. So that that's the ticking clock that, you know, they have to get it done in time and it's over Christmas. So I've thrown every hurdle that you can possibly think of into Did this book. Did he get book. that message on a Friday? That's, that's the next one. He gets it on a Friday. <laughs> totally gets it on a Friday. Uh, and, uh, he's, he's at first, he thinks he can do it himself. He just thinks I'm going to go back to the books. I'm going to look at all the, my, all the stuff I learned about strategy in night school. And I'm going to put that to work. He tries to do it himself and he just comes up short. And, um, he, he realizes he has a leadership team who's never had to do anything like this. They haven't, they've been running a company that's pretty much on track and all they have to do is keep it running. They've never had to invent anything new. So he's trying to get them to pull together as a team and they're resisting. Uh, and it, it only starts to work when he brings in an old friend from his, uh, from his baseball days when in his youth who had started a consulting company and was doing well with this uh, culture design subject. So um, he brings him in and then he learns about a new framework and so forth. Uh, but it still isn't easy. He still has all kinds of problems with the team, with the situation, even the board of directors is against him uh, in ways he can't truly understand. So um, so it, it, it does the same things as my other books, which is get read the whole book. And I think that's the problem with business books is like, what's the best business book? The one you, <laughs> and very few people finish a business book. They get, they read a chapter or two and put it down and never go back to it. So I want to have books that people finish. And one way to do it is you make it thrilling so they can't stop turning the pages. So that was my idea on that one. I think, I think it was awesome. And it was, it was a cliffhanger and, and been, being on the agency side, you just feel all of the suspense and all of the pressure through that book. It's absolutely amazing. One of the things that you, you kind of introduced two aspects of, of, you know, agile, the agile process and innovation, um, the five P's of design thinking, and also the five Q's of strategy. And I wanted to talk about some of those cues of strategy as it relates to design agencies. And in the creative economy, and with the kind of, I think, the maturation of, of the agency paradigm, so to speak, the five Q's of strategy, as you've outlined them, is, is what's your purpose? Who do we serve? Uh, where should we compete? Who will we? How will we win? And how will we grow? And the one that kind of jumped out to me in the where where we should compete aspect, you kind of framed it out as, and this is a this is a Marty quote: "Branding is a game of categories. The category you choose to compete in, and the products and services you sell, are key factors to your ability to win." And so, my question to you is. Turning this on to the agency side, how do you feel like the products and services of branding agencies are evolving these days, if they are? They've always had a problem. Um, you know, that's the business I was in before. You know, I had a design firm. Uh, so I can use that as an example. So as a design firm, I had a lot of competition from other design firms. Um, and that competition would show up um, in terms of uh, kind of like... Uh, pitches and for you to, you'd have to compete against a couple of other firms. And so the question was always, you know, for, for the, for the client, how do we, how can we tell them apart? How do we know it's good? So I had it from their point of view. Um, and I realized that, uh, they can't, they don't have, they don't have the tools. They don't have the experience to, to actually make a good choice between firms when they're hiring a consulting firm. Um, unless they're very sophisticated and they have somebody uh, leading that that initiative who's been on the other side and who knows what's good and what's not good, right? But that's very rare. And so they end up usually gravitating towards companies that have a big reputation, that, you know, a big name. They've worked for a lot of uh, other companies that this company admires. Um, you know, they're making their decision based on secondary characteristics, really. It's just like, how long have you been in business? How many people do you have? How much do you charge? Nothing. How good is the work? 
Uh, how good is the thought? This that's that's like the last thing they can. We all look the same to, to companies, so you have to have something structural about your company that is irrefutable. You can't just say, "Look, you you should hire us because we actually do a better job." And you know, look at all the awards we've won, you know, or something like that. That's just not going to cut it. They're going to say, "Well, who else have you worked for?" and uh, and if you say uh, the name of a, a really big company that hasn't been doing good in the last year, that's what they'll seize on. Oh, those guys, yeah, they're in trouble. Mm. They'll say something like that. So you not only have to have be working with uh, other companies they admire, but they have to be doing well. Take <laughs> it serious. So it's and 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 you know you don't have any control over that. They're going to look at what other kinds of work have you done. What kind of work have you done? That's like ours. Or what have you worked in the same industry? Guarantee good work, does it? But it's something they can understand. It's those preconceptions that you have to deal with when you're um, trying to sell services of any kind. You have to understand how they make their decisions. And you can't just, um, you know, contradict their thinking process. It's not going to help you. You have to work with it. So Mm. either you, you... build your firm up to the point where you have done a lot of great work for great companies and then you it's easy to sell it or you you do something else which can be a differentiation you differentiate yourself in a way that's irrefutable okay so when when i discovered this uh, the first time i discovered it is when i moved to silicon valley uh, after being a, a kind of generalist designer i moved there with the idea that I would present myself as um, a who only did work for high-tech clients, and that was it. Uh, I, by the way, I had no qualifications for that, <laughs> just to say right away. I was just intrigued by it. Nobody I know knows anything about technology. Turns out I had less of a shot because I really uh, am not a technical person at all. But uh, I got there first, and I, that's the way I presented myself. I said, look, I'm, I only do technology clients, and that, that alone was unique in Silicon Valley. Nobody else wanted to make that claim. They were afraid that if they said that, they would be blocking a lot of cool jobs that might come in, like designing the identity of a museum or something. Couldn't get that because they were technology, a technology company. But I didn't worry about that. I just thought, this this is so cool, all this technology stuff that um, it's, it's not cool now because it's done by a bunch of hacks, you know. But I'm going to come in and I'm going to apply all the uh, all the um, strategies of aesthetics and uh, just doing great work and create a lot of excitement around it with great imagery and uh, good copywriting and that sort of thing. Um, I got I, I did I was successful right away. I think my business quadrupled in the first year from where I was as a generalist by being a specialist. But I realized after a few years of doing that, that my idea that um, if I specialize in technology, I'll sort of get passed around from one client to another. Uh, didn't really work as well as I thought because the industry had already gotten more sort of balkanized. You kind of worked in a sector of it. So if you were uh, making computer chips, you didn't necessarily talk to the people who were making software. And those people didn't necessarily talk to the people who were making hardware. So I realized I wasn't specialized in that. I really had to pick one sector where everybody talked to everyone, even if it was smaller. At least uh, my reputation would grow faster because they would have to, you know, share. They'd have to, they'd end up like recommending me. So I finally realized that what, what I could do is I could, um, learn how to design software packages, the retail, cardboard retail packages that you would in a, in a computer store, which is how you bought software in those days. You didn't buy it online because there was no way to do that. You bought a CD or, you know, some sort of disc or something. Um, and I thought that's a pretty cool thing to specialize in if you're a designer because you get a lot of interesting challenges with package. You have the name of the product, which you may help to actually name. Um, you, you, you have to create some sort of a logo for that, that title of that thing to create some kind of graphic for the front of it because software is just ones and O's. And then you get the side of the box that was kind of like a date and that's an interesting challenge. And then you got 
the back of the box, uh, which is basically an ad, uh, a copy-heavy ad with some interesting visuals. So you had a lot of things to work, work with to, to challenge you. So I thought, um, I'm just going to figure that out. I'm just going to master that um, because nobody seemed to have out. They're all doing it in different ways. And I will test my work with the um, audience to make sure it works so that I'm learning something by finding whether each design is is doing what it needs. So I built that business and that was hugely successful. And I was able to um, raise prices every year up, up, up and up. I think I was, when I first started, I was charging $6,000 to the package, which was probably even at that price. Has happened in between, so that would, would have been more today. Let's say that's a ten thousand dollar job. <clears throat> and by the end, <clears throat> after ten years, I was doing sixty thousand package for the same work that I would put a six thousand dollar package. So I wasn't charging by the hour at that stage. I was charging by the success. Like I could prove that that package was going to do better than the one before it by testing. So I, I was getting maybe three hundred percent increases from the old package to the new package. I mean, design is like writing. There's no special um, value to design and writing on its own. It's it's a skill like dentistry or something like that, you know? If you're very good, then it's just very good dentistry. The only way to make it valuable is to apply it to something important, right? It's what you do with the design, what you do with the writing. Uh, that is how you differentiate yourself. So if you can that out, uh, then you don't have to compete head to head with everybody. You know, you pick a niche that no one has taken and you dominate that niche so that anybody um, has to consider you as one of their options. And if you're really good, your prices will be higher and that will only add to the appeal of what you're doing, what you're offering. Here's a guy who charges more. He's pretty well known to be for this. We feel safe with him because um, if he's charging that much, oh, we're paying that much, and we'll be safe. We'll have a good job. So those are the kinds of things you have to think about, not just how do I do the best possible work. That's not enough uh, because you're, you have to have some place where your work overlaps with the desires and needs of the company, and you have to, to, to present it that way. It's like, you need this, I do this. And there, yes, there are other people, but I can show you why um, it's, it's, it's not even, com- there's no competition, okay? So you have to make that work. You have to make it happen. But if you're just doing what everybody else do, is doing and, and hoping that maybe you get lucky or, you know, you, your personality win a or, um, you know, you win some awards and get some attention, it's really it's a hard way to go. Um, and I, I know I did it for 20 years before I caught on that um, you have to something. You have to own a space in the world. Hey, everyone. I'm sure you've heard lots of marketers and creative pros and content creators say these words. Everything is going to video. So if you aren't already doing video, you really should be. But don't be fooled. Creating great video can be hard and super time-consuming. But it doesn't have to be. I have an amazing resource my team and I use for YouTube videos and my agency's client work that totally rocks. It's called InVideo, I-N-V-I-D-E-O. InVideo is an online video editor that helps you make professional-looking videos from a huge collection of templates, images, and music available to use royalty-free in your videos right on the platform. Within video, you can stop spending thousands of dollars on outsourcing video creation and motion graphics. You can speed up and improve your video creation and editing process with their video templates and easy-to-use interface. There's no need to spend months learning Adobe Premiere or Apple's Final Cut Pro anymore. Just go to this URL, bdmpodcast.com slash invideo. That's bdmpodcast.com slash invideo. And just for listeners of the BDM podcast, if you use the promo code philip 50 that's P-H-I-L-I-P-50, you'll get a 50% discount. What? Yes, listeners of the podcast are going to get a 50% discount by using philip 50 so make sure to check out InVideo today. It'll make your video production and effects a whole lot easier. Just go to bdmpodcast.com slash InVideo. 
That's bdmpodcast.com slash invideo. And now back to the show. I have a Facebook group called the Brand Design Masters Facebook group. And they I asked them today if they could what they wanted to know from Marty Newmeyer. And so they submitted some questions to me. I'd love to ask you some of them. Um, one was, what is the biggest mistake a startup agency should avoid? Mm, the biggest mistake? Well, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. There's so many mistakes and so few ways to, do, to get it right, isn't it? I would say it's the same thing. It's um, trying to be everything to everybody. Especially as a startup, you, you have no track record. Um, maybe you do. Maybe personally you've got a following, you've got some clients from another thing or something, so that would help. You should take something very narrow and just hammer at that. Uh, and then as you grow, you can add capabilities to it. So, so it, the smaller you are, the smaller your company is, the more specialized you need to be successful. And that's counterintuitive, right? You just think, well, we're going to need work. And it could come from anywhere. And I right. don't want to turn down any work. So I'm going to say I'm full service because everyone's doing the same thing. So you just decide I'm not going to do the same thing. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to let everybody know I do. it's different. And I'm going to get good at it. So that's what I would do. Um, and I wish I had known that in the beginning. It took you know, 20, <laughs> 20 years to figure that out. So another question that I got was, how do you move from servicing smaller clients, like small to medium-sized businesses, to moving to larger clients? How do you, how do you move up that food chain? Yeah, that's, that's a hard one. Getting a larger company that's sort of beyond your normal scope is an accident. It's a mistake that they made. If they were really thinking about it, they probably would be too afraid to do that. They would get a bigger company. And so you got lucky. So what you do with that bigger client is you yourself out. And even at the, to the point of not making any money, just do a great job because that is your, port, that is your stone to the next level. So um, for me, that, that was getting Apple as a client. A lot of good software companies, but when Apple came along, that's like, that was a dream. I couldn't get a better client to have. Normally we would, uh, if we were doing a package, we might present uh, five or 10 ideas, you know, sketches or thumbnails or something. We presented 80. <laughs> okay. Just step one. Um, just rough ideas. And, um, why did we do that? Why? Because we were going to, that's a lot, that's a lot of hours, right? Figuring that out. Well, overwhelming. I mean, wouldn't it be confusing to the client, you think? Or how did that work? Well, we didn't present that to our contact, didn't present it to the, the CEO uh, of, because that was going to come later. We just wanted to make sure that um, this was for ourselves. This wasn't to impress them with the numbers. It's just that we really want to, know that we've got every possible thing covered, like every idea we could we had done. So we shared those quickly. We, and the way we would work next is we'd say, okay, uh, thanks for your input. Um, we're going to take some of this discussion ad and apply it to um, some more, more finished mock-ups, you know, and, which we always did by hand if we could because we didn't want them to. It's just too easy to go on a computer and, come up with something slick that it just is much better to draw things we found. So we, and we had that, that capability. So we, and it also they come out rougher so that the client can't think, well, this is it. It's, this is it. It's done. I have to choose this or not choose this. They can see that there's a wiggle room in there, right. To, right. to change it. Um, plus it's magical when you can draw. We always have people that can draw. Uh, so we, we present uh, five to seven, uh, quarter size mock-ups. And when I presented things, I didn't say, I, there's no agenda. Naturally, we had our favorites, but we, just not, we did not try to control the conversation. There would be little um, three-dimensional mock-ups, little quarter size boxes, and we would just toss those onto a conference table and let them play with them and say what they will. You didn't, you didn't even present or like... No, I didn't say in this one. In the, no, here they are. What do you think? Just play with them. And they like they grab them and pick them up and look at them and have comments. And um, the point at that stage is to have a conversation about them and, and not try to steer it in a particular direction. Because in the end, 
a part of our offer was we're going to test these. It doesn't matter what you think and what we think. Uh, the customers are going to be the, as they should be, the customers are going to make the decision. Um, if you, you're the kind of client that says, I don't care what customers think, doing it this way, have at it. <laughs> That's really interesting, Marty, because I had, you know, there's that famous quote by Steve Jobs or something that said the iPhone wasn't developed in a focus group. So, I mean, I've always heard that they were kind of much more um, dictatorial about the decisions they made around design. So you, you, you tested a lot of your packaging with them. Yeah. And Apple tested things too. They did, they tested them in ways that they kept it under the, under the radar. Uh, and they probably would have tested them more. They sort of tested them with users and quietly. So they didn't tip their hand. Mm-hmm. I don't care what Steve Jobs does. Cause I think he got a few things wrong. I, I I just could I cannot think how I've learned so much without testing different ideas because I would say at least half of the time our first choice of what should win in the market was wrong because we were working from a playbook uh, that had a grounding in reality uh, with customers we're looking at uh, design annuals and you know other people's work and um, you know that's that's where we're getting all this stuff is from the history of design and that's not helpful because the history of design was not grounded in reality either it was um, kind of like art directors choosing paintings or something yeah I mean, it really was all guesswork we'll guess up to the point of testing I mean yes we're going to use all the history of design and aesthetics and all the stuff we can muster to come up with something that we think will sell, but we want to know if it sells before it goes to market because we want a proven winner. And if we crack that, if we can show clients that this is going to win before they print it, I mean, how much is that worth to them? Right. That, the price kept going up. And they said, you, you can hire these other people to take a guess. We test. And, and we have years of information of testing and failing and finding out kind of like where the best areas to work are like, you know, what does it have to look like generally? How does it feel? All those things we're we're internalizing all those things where the other companies just give you the design goes into the market. You just don't know uh, why it failed or, or why it succeeded. I would think that that's niching down to software in particular and establishing that history of testing within that niche probably just built your credibility so much more because yeah it was it was an interesting journey because what we found was one kind of one look and one sort of style of package was a winner every single time and of course nobody wants to have their package look like somebody else's danger is if it doesn't in some way, it won't do as well. So that put us in a very strange position of having to recommend, you know, we learn certain things. Like if a package has a white background, if it's simple and has a lot of white space uh, and only has the elements it needs and nothing else, it's going to sell better. We've tried it both ways, right? Where the name goes, how, how large the name, what kind of uh, illustration you use or uh, icon, we call them icons on the front, how you sell it, how many sales messages you have, all stuff we learned through trial and error. And it ended up being like, if we just did this one package over and over, they're all going to sell unless they're competing with something else. And then, of course, we couldn't take a package, couldn't take a product that was competing with something else we'd done. But you started to see more and more packages in the store. Um, and what kind of worked in our favor is uh, we'd, we'd go into certain stores over and over to do our testing and we got to know the salespeople in the stores because we needed them to ha- give us permission to talk with customers. And we sort of under the, you know, pro- you know we didn't ask permission except for the sales department. And um, they loved our learning stuff about what sells. And, and we always asked their opinion about the packages and then we just tear that up and <laughs> discard it because they always had the wrong input. I mean, they were... Their, their view of what would sell is as bad as anybody else's. The only people we listen to are customers who are actually shopping in that category. Yeah. So, but we get there and um, the salespeople are all seeing, we do, we do a, you know, a, a rough idea, you know, prototype, we test it, and then soon it comes into the market, software sells. So the stores, after a while, started saying to software publishers, listen, we, we don't know what you're, how good your product is. It's not, and we don't think your package is going to sell. 
<laughs> wow. The publishers would say, oh my God, so what do we do? How do we get in the store? Well, here's what you do. And they'd write our name, my phone number on it, card, and, and they'd call up and they'd say, oh, I tried to sell this to Comp USA or Fry's or whatever store, and they sent me to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's a way to go. I tell you how we do it and everything. And uh, and then they had to pay because it, uh, we were, we became the gatekeepers for the software industry. If they didn't our packages, it was going to be difficult to get it into the store. Unless they found someone else who could do a similar kind of package. But there weren't any other specialists. We owned it. We, we had the knowledge and the track record. And by then, uh, would you not want to use the people, the apples, so, you know, software? That's that strategy at work. That's how strategy can profit margins beyond just the quality, sheer quality of your work. And I'm not against sheer quality. I'm adamant that you know design, you know, brand work should be as beautiful and great as possible. I mean, that's the fun of it, and and that's the kind of cherry on top because aesthetics can sell things, can supercharge things. You know, if you have good strategy and your aesthetics are good. It's un- unstoppable. So that's the kind of epiphany that I got from doing this. Um, and, I, and that's what led me into branding and writing books about it because I just saw the power of it. And for any designers who can tap into that, they're going to be more valuable to companies. They're going to make more money. They're going uh, to be asked their opinion instead of the, the, the client's opinion. Right. And that, that's a nice, that's a nice place. They become a true business partner rather than just an order taker. And they become experts and, and then, then the clients need to ask your opinion and you can kind of relax, you know, you don't have to try so hard. You don't have to sell. Once you own the position, you don't have to push. You, you seduce them in, right? Because you've got what they want. All you have to do is show it to them. Talk about that a little more. Get that a little more meat on the bones. That's a very interesting point. The design firms, you're just you're always trying to keep the you know uh, keep throwing wood into the first, um, and so you need clients all the time, and it gets to be tiring. I think after a while because you're always selling, and often you're pushing and you're promising things you can't really deliver, hoping that you know maybe it'll happen. But basically, <laughs> you need the work. You need the work just have an offering that was so unique and patently good that your, your clients would kind of seek you out. Or if they don't know you, you tell them uh, quickly what you do and why you should work together. And they can't say no. They, at least they can't know who you are. They have to find out what you're talking about because you're the, you're the one. You're the one that, uh, that the good people use, like the cool kids use your <laughs> firm. And once you do that, you know, you don't have to sell. You just, you just present, you just show what you are. You make sure that you're available to those clients, that you're, you're findable. Um, and the rest pretty easy. And if you find yourself pushing to get a client either because the client isn't worth it, uh, or there's something they can't afford your, your prices or they just can't tell the difference. They can't see why you're special. And trying to convince a client that you do something better is hardest. It's it's better to say, it's just easier to say, well, we've done this for this company, this company, and this company. They're very happy and their sales went up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like, they don't even question it. It's like, if you have a few figures that you can throw around, they just say, uh, great, let's work. And then, then, it's, then it's control. Now you've, You've got them in your system, basically, and you're going to do it your way because they wouldn't contradict you because they want the same results that they got from somebody else. So you can do that with anything. It doesn't have to be software packaging. It could be uh, identity. It could be websites. It could be a lot of things. But you know, in those fields where there's a lot of competition, you need to do something different. And I think there are a lot of ways to do that. One is you basically do what everybody, you, you do identity, okay? So you do great identity. It's simple, clean, um, appropriate, all the things be uh, classic, you know, great work. But there are a lot of people that can do that. Quite a few, hundreds maybe. So um, how do you make it different? Well, you decide that you're only going to work in a sector. You're only going to work in a industry or something like that where people talk to each other. 
And so you decide that, yeah, I think I could do that. And um, if I scooped up most of the work in that area, uh, I could I could make that into a good business. And you just do a lot of, I can hear a lot of your <laughs> listeners thinking, yeah, but that means I have to say no to other cool stuff that I really right. like. Exactly, right. Okay, so you don't is the, is the secret. Okay. You take it, especially if you need it. I mean, if you're not getting enough of the thing you're trying to get, you take whatever you can get. You just don't put it in your portfolio, right? You keep that secret. Right, don't show it. You only show what you want to sell because the more focused you are, the better you do. And it's, it's counterintuitive. I figured this out, oddly, by watching my uh, fellow graduates from Art Center when they got out of school, right? A lot of us just went into, you know, looking for other firms and just kind of disappeared for a while, maybe eventually started our own firm, but it took years, five years, 10 years. But the people who were illustrators that came out and they developed a style that was unique and, and, and hit, got, you know, connected, it got traction. Their, their um, careers would just take off. They'd have like five years on the way up where they were just like the most popular thing ever, ever. And then five years on the way down where they got the most money they'd ever gotten. And then after 10 years, that style would be, they'd either, their careers would be over or they would uh, start something new. They would yeah. like reinvent themselves. But mostly they were surprised to find out that all that success was tied to their style. And when, when that wore out, they were done. So I don't know what happened to those people, but usually, you know, they maybe took off in their 30s or 40s and they had 10, 10 great years and then they kind of disappeared. Uh, Don Weller was a great illustrator in Los Angeles. He was in my, a little bit older than me. Uh, when his style wore out, he became a rodeo rider. <laughs> <laughs> he moved to Park City and uh, rode horses. Uh, but go. he had the money. He had the money. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. He did save his money. Um, and, he, and, he, and he still does illustrations and little jobs and stuff just for the fun of it. But that's, you know, he doesn't need to do that. Anymore. I used to uh, review portfolios for the AIGA in San Francisco. And that's one of the things I would always, all, everybody who came out of school, their portfolios would be cookie cutter. They'd have this project, this project, this project. And I would always ask them, like, what do you want to do? Because whatever you show is the work you're going to get. And if you don't show with a point of view, you don't know what kind of job you're going to land. Like, show the kind of work that you want to get. Well, Philip, that's brilliant advice. And um, I think I did the same thing in San Francisco. I look at student portfolios. I thought it was very interesting. And a lot of them had talent. Um, but they didn't seem to know what they wanted to do. They hadn't chosen, I would say... If you could wave your magic wand, what firm do you work for? Oh, I don't know. Anybody who would appreciate my work. It's, no, that's not, that's just not going to get you very far. You have to figure out where you want to fit and you have to approach company and say, look, I want to work for you. You're the only one I want to work for. Uh, you may find out different as when you get into it that you don't really <laughs> like working with them, but that's how you go into it. It's like, uh, and um, look at my work. It looks like we do. And sometimes it's even better, right? I mean, it's, it's like, this is, I'm, I'm trying to fit in with you. That's super impressive to somebody who go, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're hired. No, no problem. This episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast is sponsored by Bring Your Own Laptop. BYOL.me is a top tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At byol.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit byol.me forward slash Philip, P-H-I-L-I-P. Again, that's byol.me forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. So let's, let's pivot, Marty. I want to talk about the building of the Marty Newmeyer brand now. I mean, it's, personal branding is 
everything. I mean, you're working with CEOs to develop their own personal brands, but you are very much kind of an OG influencer. You were writing books before personal branding was even a thing. And so I think it'd be really interesting for our listeners to understand kind of where you started and also maybe how your your branding, your personal branding and your content development has evolved as the world has moved digital. Um, it's funny. Just reminding me of uh, when we were, when I, my company was called the Neumeyer Design Team at the time, we were doing all the software packaging. We were years in, five years into it or something, being really successful. And we started to get um, requests from comp- some of our companies. They said, uh, we love working with you. Can you also do our designer website? And I said, that's, I haven't, I know nothing about this. Okay. It's, um, I'm not even attracted to it, you know, just, you know, between you and me. Um, I don't like the idea that um, whatever I design can change on the screen, depending on the, you know, the size of the screen, the shape of the screen aspect ratio. I want to like, I, I want my work to stay where I put it. <laughs> where I put right? it. Right. And, uh, and, and I don't like the idea that it's just like, it's kind of out of control and you don't, you can't lead people through it uh, the way you can with, uh, print and stuff. And well, okay. <laughs> Gave you a chance. Meanwhile, um, uh, Clement Mock, uh, from Apple, um, quit Apple, used his employee discount to buy 25 uh, workstations <laughs> and, and went for it and sold his business for $30 million. Whoa. So, uh, yeah, to sapient. Um, but he was doing what I would recommend anybody do find a specialty, be the first in the thing or be the only, and, and then, and then max that. And that's exactly what he did. And he picked the right thing. Uh, did he know everything about web design? Hell no, he didn't know anything about it. It's just like, but he was willing to learn and take and, and just go for it. And, uh, that's how you do it. You fake it until you make it. And, uh, he did that and he was in the right place at the right time. I think the place to start is when I even thought. I knew what branding was. That was that came after I um, began a, a design magazine called Critique Magazine. It's a magazine of uh, graphic design thinking. In 1996, uh, I went for five years. Never quite even for reasons that are very sad, but uh, the, it, it was really a learning experience for me. I learned from doing that. Uh, because I interviewed all the top people in the country who were doing design, you know, Milton Glaser and, uh, I don't know, uh, Saul Bass, even before he, Paul Rand, just before he died, gave me advice on the magazine. It was just great. I got to meet everybody. And what I found out was that um, we designers we're not as smart as I thought we were <laughs> uh, from a business standpoint. We were, I don't know. There were some that that very successful. We were very successful, but uh, really we're leaving a lot of money on the table. And I, we, we published a, a, a department in the magazine, uh, a feature every, every magazine that was called, um, we, t- we take a city and we'd map the city and we were all the hottest firms were. Mm. And we'd show a little profile of each one. So, if you're a client and you want to know who's good in that city, if you're, uh, um, you know, an employee and you want to work for the best people, you're coming in new to the city, you just go to that map and you can see what everybody does, look them up online or whatever. So um, um, one of the questions was, what's your specialty? And almost to a company, they would say full service. Mm. And I went, that's actually a bad idea. Do you still, do you want to go with that? Yeah, because we don't want to, we don't want to like leave anybody out. We can do all of it. Yeah, but they can all do all of it. Mm. Are you sure you want to compete with everybody on this map? Yeah, yeah, we're sure. Um, And then I could say, yeah, but you're not full service. All you do is annual reports (laughs) or whatever it was. You do one after another. No, no, sometimes we do identity. So, you know, I, I said, well, yeah, but you're doing like your business, your success is based on this annual report stuff. Why don't you just say annual reports and you'll be the only one? Oh, no, we couldn't do that. So then I realized, okay, so we are in bad shape as an industry. We don't even know the first thing about how to position ourselves. 
Um, and then I started um, thinking, well, there's a business there. I mean, so I started working about that in the design magazine. And when that was done, I realized that it was going to be harder to convince designers that they should be more strategic than it was to get clients to be more designful. Like I'll have better luck talking with companies and bringing them to our design by showing them what design can do because no one's ever showed them that before. They just never understood how to use graphic design and why it could be valuable for them. So that's when I wrote The Brand Gap. And I said, look, there's a gap between what designers are doing and what companies are doing strategically and there's, they don't connect. And so everything's falling there. Customers are falling in there. You know, you're, you're, and so we need to get these two things together. So designer, you got to learn a little bit about business. Business people, you have to learn a little bit about design. So in writing the book, that was the beginning of building my brand as a, as a brand person. So I was using branding to build my own brand. Now, how did I do that? I didn't write a book that looked like anybody else's because you can't build a brand on uh, sameness. You have to build it on difference. So I thought, well, how, how do I do that? Well, I just reversed everything I knew about books. So business books are boring. Okay, we're not going to be boring. Business books are full of words, not going to be full of words. Uh, business books um, don't have illustrations. They just have charts. Well, we're going to have illustrations. We're going to have photographs. We're going to like throw just throw out the paradigm, start over. And if that doesn't work, so be it. But I'm either going to home run or I'm going to strike out. And I was sure when I published the book that it was a strikeout. I was like, when I read it over just before publishing it, uh, I went, oh, this is, this is bad. <laughs> this is really bad. Well, I want to remind our listeners, though, of a fact I read just before we... I, before I interviewed Marty, and that is the online presentation for his per, first book, The Brand Gap, has been viewed more than 22 million times since. It's up to 25 now. Oh, 25, 25 million. I, I stand corrected. It's growing 20. fast. Yeah, it's just like exponential, right? Yeah. yeah Isn't that great? It's crazy. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> that's some serious view count, I tell you. That was one of those lucky accidents that uh, I actually didn't know how lucky I was in the beginning. What happened was. Uh, the, the book, when it came out, was a success. It was an immediate success. Got really good reviews. It sold. Came number 15 on Amazon, which even today, I hard, hardly believe that ever happened. Yeah. Uh, Bill Clinton's number 25. That's it got up to 25 and got up to 15. Now we're talking. Absolutely. So, um, so that was the foundational book for all the other ones. But um, soon after that, I started teaching a workshop uh, teaching all that stuff as a workshop for clients and uh, other designers who wanted to do what I did and strategists and so forth. And uh, that workshop had a series of 200 slides. And that was part of what I gave away uh, in, in the workbook. So you get, you get the CD with, with the slides and you can refer to those or you can use them and teach somebody else. I wanted it to spread. So I wasn't going to like tell them they couldn't show it to anybody else. So students, and I'll probably never know who, uh, secretly put it onto SlideShare, which at the time was a website, SlideShare. I didn't know it was there. And the way SlideShare worked, um, they had to put something on the home homepage. So what would go on the homepage is whatever was being the most. So it was kind of like survival of the fittest, you know. Yeah. Whatever one people were looking at, that's the one they'd feature. Well, I got in early enough that, and, and the slides were uh, more professional, that, you know, it caught right away and became number one. And once you're number one, you just keep being number one. So it just was like the poster before SlideShare for years. <laughs> and and um, people kept saying, I read your book online. And I said, what do you mean? You can't, how do you read a book online? I mean, there were no e-books or anything. No, no, it's on, the, on SlideShare. And I kind of didn't pay attention. I just thought, well, a lot of crazy things happened, so okay. <laughs> uh, and then, and then uh, like two years after, I went to SlideShare, and here's 2,500 comments and requests for workshops. And you haven't been keeping up with your comments, Marty? Come on. Uh, there were no comments. <laughs> I, you know, I had no idea. Uh, so maybe there were 
5,000 views at the time or something. Wow. But, you know, it just grew and grew and people recommended it and so forth. It's up to 25 million plus. Uh, so that had to um, have a huge influence on on my brand. The secret to building a, a, a one-man brand, I guess you'd say, I mean, it wasn't because I had a company, but it was based on me, was um, to, to, you know, align yourself with something important that no one is doing, right? So there were other people in branding, but they weren't trying to close the distance between design and strategy. There was nobody that could do both. You had designers who could talk about identity and you had business people who could talk about strategy and they could even use the word brand, but they didn't know how to do it. They didn't know how to, you know, design a logo or a website or an ad campaign or anything. So they were only talking about, you know, the abstract uh, of, of branding and not the concrete part, the part that makes it work. Mm-hmm. And now I'm teaching this stuff in master classes so that um, my tribe, as I call it, my, my customer, my client group is growing and, and um, telling everybody else. So it's kind of a, a viral effect that it has. People tell other people. Um, and so it just gets bigger and bigger and stronger. And um, so that, that allowed me to kind of own that topic. I guess that, that's what you want to do is you want to own something nobody else owns and be able to defend it. And you don't have number one in it, but it's good to be number one. And, and if you're number two, it's a little bit harder. If you're number three, it gets really hard. You start moving to the second page of Google search at that point. I, I'm not closing yet, but I just wanted to know where people can um, find your tribe or contact you in terms of that, that, that training you were talking about. Two places. So one is you can follow me on my author website. So that's martynewmeyer.com and you can sign up and, and get it. I don't send out, I don't bug you with a lot of things. I mean, I put stuff in there. I, I write articles, I load things in, um, but there's a lot of, uh, cool stuff there to learn from. And the other one that's uh, more active is level C, levelc.org. And that's if you want classes, um, you go there and the classes are um, announced there. And uh, now they're all online. They have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, we're a life classroom company. We just can't do that now. So we put that aside. And we're focusing on the online part. And as soon as we know, we're going to start uh, adding the live sessions back in, which we do in London, London and L.A. mostly, um, but other places around the world. Um, so you have to travel there unless you live in those cities. Um, but um, that makes it fun. Or if you can't, you do the online course. And it's uh, uh, very popular also. So we're sold out for this year. Um, and we're going to release some new classes starting in January, end of January. So January through spring will be a whole batch of new classes. And then uh, nothing in the summer. I take summers off so I can write the next course. Uh, and then we come back in the, in the fall. So those are the two ways. Cool. So, Marty, how do you, how do you stay inspired? How do you stay up on what's trending and, and, you know, and stay juiced. You know, at this point, I don't, I used to read a lot of uh, business books and brand books, everything that was out there, just read, read, read. Right. So I don't read, don't read uh, books about branding. I write them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't read them. And what I read is um, tangential. So I read about lead. I want to know what's going on in CEO's, a CEO's brain. I want to know what's happening in strategy. I want to know, um, uh, what's happening in business and worldwide? I want to see the tra- I want to see the big trends, mm-hmm. and in in doing that, I sort of stumble across new ideas that I haven't seen before, and I will analyze those. If they're good, I'll I'll present them as whoever they're from. I'll fold them in. So the last one I did was actually um, the whole idea of uh, the innovators. Uh, and another one called The Innovator's Solution by Clay Christensen. It's about disruption. So disruption was probably the last big subject that I took an interest in. Uh, before that, I was interested in design thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, I was interested in positioning. These are big topics. I do read books on uh, so by futurists. I want to kind of know what's coming down the pipe. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't read a lot of books about branding because I've done that. I don't know that there's that many new topics. And the other thing I, I have to uh, admit, confess, is that I don't really pay attention to individual companies and like how they're doing. I, oh, I don't, interesting. First of all, none of them seem to be doing everything well. So it's just some things they're doing are interesting. If, the, if, the, if it's really a cool thing, everyone will know about it and I know about it too. But I don't, I'm not looking to uncover cool little things. Uh, but I help those companies do that by virtue of my consulting. And I'm, a lot of my students come in and they work for company, good companies, take ideas from the workshops or from the classes, and they introduce them to their companies. So I know about them. Yes, my students in, in the Level C courses, uh, them exercises to reinvent industry, let's say, or reinvent a company that's not doing well. And the ideas they come back with are pretty, they're pretty mm. avant-garde, right? Oh, interesting. Because they're creative people and they're, they're, they're thinking ahead. Uh, and so they're out ahead of most companies, mm. right? So almost anything a company does that's really cool in branding, it's like I've already seen it in my class. That's cool. I don't need, yeah, I don't need to pay attention to all of them. Probably it would be good if I did, but you know, you only have so many hours in the day. Yes. I'm quite busy, so. Well, Marty... I really appreciate your speaking with us today on the Brand Design Masters podcast. And I always close by asking my guests one particular question, which is, do you have a personal mantra or a manifesto that you try to live your life by? Yeah, well, the one that I think of, I have probably several, but the one that that is um, important to me is to remember that um, it's better to be helpful than right. And maybe this is, just something I'm interested in because I have spent a lot, a lot of my career trying to be right. Mm. right? Uh, it might be a guy thing, just like I, I need to know and I want to prove that my point of view is the right one. I want to make sure it is and then I want to insist on it. And, um, and, and it's possible to do that. I mean, you can definitely know enough about your subject to be right. But I think that doesn't always help clients. What helps them is help is help. <laughs> and help could be telling them the truth and telling them, right? or it could be just encouraging them or taking them from where they are to a place that's slightly better. Um, being right really isn't really what clients want and or anybody. <laughs> Nobody wants that. My wife doesn't. My daughter doesn't <laughs> want. I mean, they want to be encouraged. Sometimes they want to be uh, rewarded. They want to be loved. They want so uh, that's something that personally I have to think about all the time. So that's my mantra. That's great. That's super helpful. And so, just repeat one more time: Where can people engage with you? Where's the best way to get in touch or be, see all things Marty? Go to martynewmeyer.com. And you can sign up. If you sign up, you get an interactive dictionary. It's an ebook uh, where all the terms that I use are in there and they're all connected to each hyperlink together. So you can kind of skip around and have fun learning all the terms. You have to know the vocabulary to be taken seriously in this field. So there's that. And if you go to uh, levelc.org, you'll see our classes, what they're about. Probably, I think we have a page and all the has all the graduates listed. We have a few hundred now, and it's probably like a few hundred a year. We're we're doing we're building a community of people that know the same thing and can work together and collaborate, and that's what they're doing. They uh, they're very welcoming to people uh, that come in and learn the material, and a lot of a lot of people are uh, forming relationships, and some are starting companies together. It's been very exciting. That's nothing to do with me except just bringing people together with this, you know, framework, and they do the rest. Um, and it's and it's quite exciting. So if you're interested in brand and you want to learn um, more, um, and you're not getting enough from books, you can you know take a class and you get a certificate. Um, and there are five levels, so it's like it's it goes far enough that um, you, you probably yeah you'll you, you'll find yourself really working as you go up. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people will take the, the lowest level and be happy with that and be able to work that and improve their business for a long time or they need the second level. Some people who want to be more strategic are going to go right from one right into the strategy one and get that, soak up that stuff. The third one is about brand archer. It's about managing multiple brands, very valuable 
uh, skill to have. Um, and uh, especially if you're working inside a company, uh, the fourth level teaching all this just learned. So you really learn it because you're teaching it now to the same kind of students. You're helping to scale up our offering, but you're learning it at the same time. And then finally, the top level is the mastery level where we expect the people out of that class will start leading brand from the top of a major corporation or, or medium-sized corporation, but something where they have a lot of um, responsibility and need to know a lot to be able to do that. So we, we take them all, all the way up to the top if you want. So we're quite excited about the, uh, the, the uh, community of people that we're building. It's just, uh, there's so much fun and they're so smart and uh, generous with their time. You can't believe how generous our, our students are. It's, it's quite lovely to see. Well, Marty, thank you again so much for your time. And thank you for everything you have done for the branding and design in industry. You are an icon and I feel absolutely honored to have had you on the show. So thanks again. My pleasure, Philip. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.